Okay, so just to get going, um, round tables, two or three minutes max, does God take risks? Why, why not? Does God take risks? Why or why not? Okay, um, that was just to get your, your brains going. You can um, <laughs> do that. Ron's got the answer anyway, just, just ask Ron. Um, so if you're new to us this week, we're, this little series we're doing is in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. We're thinking about what it means for God to be the Father Almighty uh, today. Helpfully, and slightly rarely for the Apostles' Creed, the, the word Almighty, I put down on the sheet, I think, Pantocrator, it's actually found in the New Testament. So it's a word straight out of the Bible into the Creed. Um, let's have a look at a couple of places. There are lots more, but lots of them in Revelation. So... Revelation 4. Revelation 4. And we're, we're sort of looking into heaven with John. 4 verse 8. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Or right at the end of the book. Uh, Revelation 21 book starts and ends with the same uh, description of God. 21, 22. Uh, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Notice there, Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So it's particularly the Father, Lord God Almighty, as distinguished from Jesus, who is described as Almighty. That's not because Jesus isn't Almighty. Um, uh, as we said last week, all... Um, persons of the Trinity have the same power, authority, wisdom, knowledge. But it's just that within Scripture, some, um, very often some uh, characteristics are particularly commonly attributed to one person. Almost like that's kind of what, what's being shone on in their case. doesn't mean the others aren't also sharing uh, the same attributes. Uh, and Almighty means, unsurprisingly, exactly what you'd expect. It's got power over all things. Uh, Ephesians 1.11 is a good summary verse. Uh, Paul says, in him we, we have been saved, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, and here it is, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So one of the humbling things about the understanding of God presented to us in scripture is that absolutely all things are under his will. Nothing, not, a, not an atom or a microbe, is outside, not just of his knowledge, like he's some sort of brilliant observer of all things, but of his actual control, his will. Uh, so, to save us flicking all over scripture, I put a bunch of verses on the sheets. You think about the natural world, nature. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes the clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain, brings out the wind from his storehouses. Okay, he's in total control of the big forces of nature, as we call them. And then on the smaller side, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, says Jesus, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Think how many billions of birds there are across the world. Everyone, the flight path of everyone known and planned to God. And not one of them moves up or down, left or right, outside of God's care. Uh, so far, most, most people are pretty happy with that. Oh, good, he's in charge of the, the weather and the sparrows. We're kind of, we're all right with that. But actually, it starts getting a little bit closer to home, a little bit more uh, difficult for some of us. 
to think through. So secondly, history. From one man, see Adam, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God is sovereign over history. And again, if you keep it in that sort of general way, okay, maybe we're okay with that. But actually that, that means he, he, he knew and planned where the Egyptians would live and rule and reign, the Romans, the Greeks. It means he's got control over not just the kind of the goodies, whoever they might be in your head, but also the baddies too. Total control. And where the peoples moved and lived. Uh, next one, 1 Samuel 2, 6 and 7. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. See, they're both in his hands. We, we, we like the idea of the Lord lifting up and the Lord giving life. But here the Lord also is the one who chooses the time of our death. The Lord is so sovereign, he's able to send poverty as well as wealth. In other words, he's not sat in heaven just like a, a kind of well-meaning Father Christmas trying to give all the good gifts out and then anything that goes wrong is absolutely nothing to do with him or any time we suffer, it's totally out of his control. Now, he knows the hour of our death as much as the hour of our birth. Uh, random events. Proverbs 16, 33, the lot, a bit like kind of like a dice the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the lord things that we think are totally random loving a dice game monopoly every decision is from the lord and then much more close at home still human decisions the king's heart is in the hand of the lord he directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases the king in those days, obviously, he was the most powerful man on earth. If anyone gets to do exactly what he wants, uncontrolled by anyone higher, it's the king, because there's no one higher on earth. And hence, Proverbs tells us, no, even his decisions, his heart, the centre of his being, directs him left and right to where the Lord wants him to go, uh, like a river being sort of directed through one of those sort of posh, fancy gardens, like you get a Chatsworth or whatever, directing the heart where the Lord wants it to go. And it's not just the king, it's all of us. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And then finally, not just good decisions. We might think, well, okay, I can just about stomach the Lord being sovereign over the, the kind of good things that happens. But even evil decisions. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes. And here we go, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. Those are, those are hard words, aren't they? They are difficult words to, and perhaps surprising words for many of us uh, this morning. You might think of uh, the Exodus, where, where Pharaoh, um, Pharaoh's heart is described as being hardened by the Lord. Now, it's also true that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. We'll come back to that. But, but the Lord, he, he's not sealed off from our hearts. It's not like they're in a little kind of plastic coating and it's the kind of one, one place that God can't get. All things... Uh, hence he is the Father Almighty, and that verse again at the beginning, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, at this stage I want to deal with an objection, and then we're going to we can do questions, but you're going to spend a decent time around, around tables for the rest of the morning, kind of try to work this through. The, 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 the obvious objection is, I mean, I've called it the Pinocchio problem. If you've seen Pinocchio, remember the movie Pinocchio, 
Uh, at the beginning of the movie, Geppetto, who's the, 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 the puppet maker, the old man in the film, or the story, um, carves the, the puppet. And obviously Pinocchio can't do anything unless Geppetto is pulling the strings. Okay, so Pinocchio is, is not a real boy. He makes no decisions. He is purely a puppet on the end of a string. And all the power is with Geppetto. He is the Geppetto Almighty. Then the, you know, the fairy comes through the window, and um, I've only seen the film, so I don't know what happens in the book, but uh, comes through the window, sprinkles the fairy dust, Geppetto comes, sorry, Pinocchio comes to life, no strings anymore, and suddenly he's a real boy making real choices, but Geppetto is no longer almighty, he just can't control Pinocchio, because Pinocchio is a real boy. And very often what we do, very understandably, is we come to scripture, come to the Bible, see all these verses, and say, well, which one is it? Is it, it, are we like Pinocchio at the beginning of the film, puppets on a string, and God is almighty and in control, and we're just dancing to his tune, robots essentially? Or are we real little boys and girls who make real decisions, in which case we'll have to say that God isn't fully in control? So we, we, do you see the, the sort of dilemma, as it were, the, the choice we, we force? And what I want to say to that is, it, it's neither. That is a mistaken question. It's an understandable question. It's a good question. But it is, it is a wrong premise, a wrong way of, of looking at it. Um, and you, you go wrong, and loads, all sorts, there's all sorts of different theologies and streams, and even some in the kind of reform stream have, have gone wrong, I think, when they, they try and um, push either side too strongly. Um, let me try and explain. Um, the, the, the fundamental mistake in, in that kind of tension where we say you've got to choose, the fundamental mistake is thinking that we creatures, human beings, and God are on the same kind of plane. So um, there's a box, box here of Bibles, heavy box of Bibles. If, if, if I say, um, uh, I get Manon up, and um, basically I could lift the box up on my own, and Manon does nothing, she just watches me lift the box up, in which case I've got, you know, I'm doing everything. Um, or Manon lifts it up and I'm not doing anything, in which case she's doing everything. Or we, we, sh- we lift it up together, in which case it's kind of 50-50. But, but what couldn't be the case, could it, with Manon and me? We couldn't both be 100% responsible for lifting up the box at the same time. It's just not, it's not possible, because we're both human beings, we've both got the same powers, and when we lift the box, it's either going to be shared or one of us. If you bring God down to a human level, that's the dilemma you have. But, but the Bible won't let us do that. The Bible will tell us that we are 100% responsible for our decisions, we are real little boys and girls to go back to Pinocchio. That's why, for example, we're, we're blamed for our sin. The Bible never says, well, you know, you, you had no chance. God forced you to do it. Evil is never blamed on God. That's why Jesus will call people to repent and believe. It's not a fake call. Uh, you, know, uh, you, you, you know, you've got no um, responsibility to do this. You're just a little robot, but I'm going to make a sort of fake call asking you to repent and believe. No. You are real people. And yet at the same time, God is still fully in control. Because he's not part of the universe. So it's not a kind of zero-sum game where you have to choose who's really in charge. God is the the primary cause of all things. But secondary causes, our actions, are real. Now, I can't explain to you, and no one has ever been able to explain to you, so it's not just that you've got a duff minister. I can't explain to you how that works other than saying God is a sufficiently good creator that he can make a world that remains entirely dependent on him and under his control and yet we are real I can't, I can't do that obviously 
Um, and you can't do that. We can make robots and computers and whatever, but you know, either the robots rise up and get free and kill us all or whatever, um, or we stay in control. We, we, we just can't do that yet. But, well, we never will be able to, because <laughs> they're not good. But, but God can, somehow. And that's why you, you must, when you read one set of Bible verses, maybe they're the ones about God's total control, or they're the ones about us being real decision makers, all the rest of it, you mustn't use them to kind of cancel out the others. Both are fully true. And there we just have to say there's, there's a mystery. No surprise there's a mystery, because... God is so much greater uh, than us. So God Almighty. I'm going to pause there. Don't ask any questions because almost all the rest of the time you're going to be discussing things around tables. So I realise it's a massive subject and we're kind of running through it on a, on a Sunday morning in 20 minutes. But hello, Harriet. Um, I think it's often one that's brought up because it's so emotional for people, yeah. particularly the Around the subject. Uh, I think loads loads of that is going to be slowly, gently. So it's it's, it. I'm not not sure. Basically, I'm going to give a really coherent answer in a generic sense. But say maybe what you don't do, which is roll roll in and just say, um, "Ah, really, really sorry, you. I don't know." Your dad's just died, but it's the sovereign plan of God. So, you know, as in, you, so you, it's not God's sovereignty is not meant to be used as an inoculation from pain. Mm. I think sometimes conservative Christians who believe in the sovereignty of God almost use it as if it's you're therefore it's therefore wrong to weep, mourn. But you know, think of Jesus at Lazarus' grave. He, I mean, he, not only does does he believe that God is the Father Almighty and sovereign, he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's still crying. Um, so I, I think slowly and gently, but over time, the comfort of this is that it means that whatever is going on, even though we don't understand it, it, it is not out of control and God is going to work all things ultimately for, for, for good, at least for those who love him. So I, yeah, it's not meant to be a, a truth to beat people into cheer up, you shouldn't be mourning kind of thing. But I... I would spend more time crying with those who cry and all the rest of it than, than going straight to God is sovereign, so buck up kind of thing. But I don't know, you, what do you think? You tell me. No, I, th- I think it's really complicated. Yeah, because yeah. in a way it feels like a partial thing if someone brings to you something. <laughs> Maybe that instinct to say God's in control of it is strong, but I think it's helpful to remember. You can leave that for another time. Yeah. And you don't need to kind of, yeah, necessarily be presenting that to someone when they're full of their pain. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think pretty rarely the first thing you'd say. Yeah. But um, John Piper, the Baptist minister in America, I can't remember where, but he talks about somewhere about his, um, his brother-in-law phoned him up to say that his mum had been killed, as in Piper's mum had been killed on a um, tourist trip to Israel, I think it was. And so a, a plank had flown off the bank of a lorry and just gone through the window of the bus she was on and killed her. And, um, you know, he's obviously totally devastated. 
but he says some he says something like um, the idea that that event was random and outside of God's control brings no comfort to me. Um, I take no comfort in the random f- um, flight of a plank of four by four, something like that. I can't remember the exact line, but um, so somewhere there is deep comfort in these things, especially for believers. That okay, like it's the old tapestry illustration, isn't it? You know, you, you look at the back of a tapestry and it looks like total chaos, all the threads everywhere, and you, you walk around the other side, you see the picture. We, we, we won't see the picture, and I think sometimes maybe that's another mistake more conservative Christians can make because God is sovereign because we know that ultimately he'll work all things for good we, we make the mistake of thinking therefore we can say to this person I know this tragedy has just struck you but it's, it's for good, it's, a good it's, it's not a good thing it's just he can work evil for good it's still evil if your family gets killed or evil if so you, we want to affirm the evil and not yeah. maybe it's because people often present it as this evil happens and it feels like God's against me yeah. That you're wanting to say, no, he's for you, so yeah. that brings all the tension. Yeah. yeah. And the for you bit is more likely to be found through the gospel than the interpreting this particular situation. I can now show you why it's a good thing that yeah. Auntie Mabel died or whatever, because you probably can't. Yeah. Sometimes, but not very often. Yeah. So again, lots of this is living with mystery and trusting the character of God as revealed in the, when the gospel is preening. Yeah. Any more questions at this stage before we do discussion? Hey, man, on. It's sort of like a similar line, um, but in terms of um, in the psalm, um, God does whatever pleases him yeah. in terms of the natural world. Are there, in terms of like things that we know aren't good in terms of like natural disasters or fires yeah. or earthquakes and things like that, can we say that that? Other times, we can say that that doesn't Okay. The effects of that is what God wants. Yeah. Although, he's behind it. Because he's controlled that. Okay, I'll just repeat that. So, um, the, the, psalm, the psalm verse was God doing everything he pleases in the natural world. When we get natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, are there ever times where we can say that it doesn't, this isn't pleasing to God because of the disaster that it, that it brings? That, yeah. Um, I think when it says he, whatever he pleases, it, it's just a paraphrase of whatever he wants. And the, the way the Bible talks about God's, what God wants is in, in two different ways, at least two different ways. Sometimes the, the will of God or what God wants um, is like the Ephesians verse we started with. God wills, God works out everything according to the purpose of his will. So it's the will of God, which means he's just in charge of everything. He will do everything. So sometimes the will of God means this sovereign will. But also, at other times, you get verses that say things like, um, God doesn't want anyone to, to die, but everyone to come to repentance. And you think, well, okay, but if it's God's will that everyone repents, and also it's his, you know, he is totally sovereign, then how come not everyone gets saved? And the, the answer is because sometimes the Bible uses the word God's will or desire or want or pleasure or whatever to talk not about his sovereign will, but what, it, what is sometimes called his revealed will, the things he wants to happen, but he's not going to force. So does God want every marriage to be faithful? Yes. Has God ensured that every marriage... No. And so there's, there's a mystery there. There's a tension between... Which we can't solve, I don't think. A tension between the fact that he is totally sovereign, so he's not losing whatever, control or something. But lots of stuff that happens isn't, isn't pleasing in a kind of moral sense to him. And yet he allows it to happen. And there you're on attention. I think you do the same with... I don't think God is sad in heaven. You know, great, another earthquake. Great, in a kind of... But... 
the, the reason the, the ground is cursed is because of our sin. So it is a kind of just judgment. He's not, he's not lost power or, or plot, and he's not guilty in what he's doing. But ultimately, it would be just God just to chuck us all into hell. I mean, that would be just. And so similarly, when earthquakes hit and... Yeah, we're not meant to be glorying in it, but it is not, it is not kind of... Um, it's neither a revelation that God is cruel nor that he's unfair. Um, let, let's go around tables. You know, we could do questions all morning and... Yeah. A um, c- couple of classic things. Pick one of the first two. If God is sovereign, why pray? Or if God is sovereign, why do evangelism? You know, if God's going to ch- knows who's going to go to heaven, what, what's the point of doing either of those? Start with those. Um, and then, depending on how you do, go on to the, go on to the next ones. I'm... Uh, I'm very aware that for, for some of you, this morning would have been old hat. I've thought about this stuff before. For some of you, it'll be like, whoa, uh, you know, what is going on here? Um, and there's no way in, in 35 minutes, you know, this is one of those topics you can just get licked and squared away. And okay, fine. I'm, I'm, so don't worry. If you if, if you're still feel like you've kind of got a thousand questions, and oh, that's okay. Keep talking, keep thinking, keep looking at scripture. Don't panic. Um, but, but let me just suggest a couple of things to, to wrap up. Often when people first hear about the sovereignty of God, almightiness, um, they think, well, everything's a joke. Why evangelise? Why pray? Why do anything? You know, it's just... The mistake they're making, of course, um, is, is, is that they're getting rid of the, the reality of who we are. Okay? They're over... Whoa, my daughter. Uh, they, they, are, they are going back to the Pinocchio problem and saying we're puppets on a string. Um first mistake they're making you know we, we really are responsible for how we act and God has called us to do these things but also you could flip the question around and say if God is not sovereign enough to be able to move people's hearts then there's definitely no point praying and doing evangelism in other words I would turn the question on the head if God isn't so- sovereign wh- why pray particularly for people's salvation what is the point if maybe you've got a non-Christian family member if God if God is not sovereign over their hearts, in other words, if they're sealed off little kings and queens of their own hearts, and you pray, Lord, please make Bob a Christian, what's God going to have to say? He's going to have to say, well, I'd love to do that too, but I, you know, I, I love the idea of free will too much to interfere in Bob's life. So I'll, I'll see if I can get someone to move next door who's a Christian, and I'll see if I can get an evangelist to knock on the door, although even then I can't move their hearts, so I'll have to just try and nudge them in the, you know, like a chess player or something. But I, I can't actually bring them to faith. Um, if God is not sovereign over our hearts, then prayer for non-Christians is a waste of time because um, God can't do anything about it, really. Um, actually, the good news is because he is fully sovereign, you, you can lift up the hardest cases to him, be it people or world problems, and he's powerful enough to do something about it. It's the sovereignty of God that grounds prayer, gives it hope. And all the time you're trying to couple the fact that he is powerful with the fact that he's good, Okay, and, and typically we try and make the fact that he's powerful or we, we're tempted to think, Satan tempts us to think that the fact he's almighty shows that he's not really good. And that's why Father Almighty is such a helpful phrase. He is a father um, to us. And almost certainly, if you find yourself on the rocks with this one, almost certainly it's because you've fallen into that Pinocchio problem and you're trying to say, um, well, because, I don't know, because God is all powerful, therefore we're not really responsible or vice versa. It, almost always that's a problem and so look at those the, the questions at the bottom of the sheet from the Heidelberg Catechism I think they they balance the whole thing so well 
What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that's in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt he'll provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity, whatever hardships he sends into this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is almighty, ever-present power, whereby with his, as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance but by his fatherly hand. And how does it benefit us to know this? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so complete in his hand that without his will, they cannot so move, much as move. You see the comfort that's meant to come from, from the doctrine. Almighty Father, therefore nothing can separate us because nothing can actually stop his, his hand. It, it is a doctrine that's meant to be great, great confidence rather than just a billion questions um, welcome as questions are um, let me pray and then we'll head next door our father we are fearful and, and doubtful creatures and we're sorry for the times we've looked up uh, and I feared we've seen a, a, a frowning providence now whilst your word reassures us that uh, behind uh, the clouds is a smiling face and we uh, pray that we would therefore have confidence whatever life throws at us uh, as it seems to us to know that your mighty and fatherly um, good hand uh, is around us, uh, below us and above us. I pray for those who are suffering that, that you would bring great comfort to them. I pray for those who are <coughs> struggling with, with questions off the back of what we've looked at this morning that you would bring light. And we pray that in all things uh, we would uh, honour you in our hearts as our almighty father. Holy Spirit on us again, we pray, our Father, as we head to worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.